Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Oh, there, I got my headphones adjusted here. A lot of stuff going on. Hackers are now targeting the iPhone with malware, and it's uh, getting increasingly, uh, you know, targeted, and you've got to watch it. We'll talk about some of that latest malware. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to, uh, there's also something called SIM hijacking, uh-huh. where people are hijacking your SIM card using social engineering. This is this has really been a, a major problem recently. And the phone companies are warning against it. And there's a new uh, there's a new security system out for Wi-Fi, WPA3. Ah. Finally, it's coming out. You know, it's been 14 years since they've upgraded the security in Wi-Fi. Has it? WPA2 came out came out 14 years ago. So it's about time they they did something. Girl Scouts now have STEM related badges: science, technology, engineering, mathematics. So. That's actually, they're coming into the 21st century, which is quite good. And Google is using their balloon system, Balloon, to provide Internet access to Kenya. And it's one of the first, you know, commercial applications of Project Loon, and they're actually making a business out of it. Today we're going to feature Christopher Lantham Shoals. <laughs> he is the man who invented the QWERTY keyboard. Really? You know what QWERTY stands yeah. for? It's the it's the it, the it's keyboard. The top line. It's the top line from the left side. The keys in a row. QWERTY keyboard. The man that he also is the inventor of the typewriter. So it's hmm. all of this is like a precursor to IT. So I thought he's a it's pre IT. It's pre IT. It's pre IT exactly. And of course we got a huge huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. <laughs> we got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Schertz. A while back, I asked you about Internet speed tests. You recommended DSL reports, and that was an excellent recommendation because it's not affiliated with any ISP. Then I asked for suggestions on how to reduce buffer bloat because it turns out that— That sounds painful. <clears throat> yeah. That, I would use Tums. Yeah. That, well, DSL reports, you know, in, in addition to the speed, they give this buffer bloat number, and then Arnie was worried about He thought his buffer bloat was a little too high. So he said, what can I do about the buffer bloat? He says, well, you suggested the IQ router. He said, I bought one, and boy, did that make a difference. Now DSL reports very little buffer bloat. That fixed the problem. Good. And uh, and and it, they also say he's you know Arn is really on. They even support, they will have a firmware upgrade to support WPA3. By the way, that Splinternet article that you talked about on the June 7th show dovetails with a book by Klimberg Alexander called "The Darkening Web: The War for Cyberspace." Especially, you know, it notes that Russia and China are trying to make the internet sovereign to each country so they can create their own one. Many thanks for a great show. 
Well, Bar uh, uh, Arnie, I'm glad that this um, IQ router worked for you. Buffer bloat is caused is a cause of high latency or delay in packet switch networks. It can also cause packet delay variation, which is known as jitter. And when the router is configured with excessively large buffers, I mean, um, and the buffers are so large that they almost make the connection to the Internet unusable, you end up getting buffer bloat. And so what you want to do is have a, a router which looks at the actual speed you're getting throughput with the network, and they adjust the buffers dynamically to match that speed and so uh, and match the amount of jitter you're getting and so you don't over-buffer your signal. And that's what IQ Router does. It does a great job of it. Well, I'm glad everything is working for you, Arnie. We got an email from June in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I heard that Mark Zuckerberg tapes over his laptop webcam and microphone for security purposes. Really? Should I do it? <laughs> I'm a very security conscious person, and now I'm worried. Enjoy the podcast, June in Fairfax. Well, June, there's nothing wrong with covering your camera, but it's probably not worth the effort. I mean, I've got several cams on my laptops, and I got a several. I got well, I got several laptops. Oh. I got cameras all over the place. There, I got two cameras on my mobile phone, and I have to tell you, all of my cameras are uncovered, and I'm really not that worried. You see, the software that activates your webcam or your microphone is basically malware. So you just have to use steps to prevent malware. Use a firewall. A. Scan for malware each time you come up. And, of course, that's just good practice. Keep up to date with your security updates. Secure your Wi-Fi network with a, you know, with a, with a Wi-Fi password, and then you are probably not going to get any malware. Now, here's the deal. Mark Zuckerberg is a high-profile target. So probably a lot of people want to go after him. I, I hate to tell you, June. We're not high profile. June, you are no, no. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so it's going to turn out that I don't really think people are going to spend much effort looking at you. So I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, just keep good security practices and you'll be okay. We got an email from Jason in Washington, D.C. Dear Doc and Jim, I need to boot my computer from a CD or a DVD using an ISO image. Unfortunately, my computer does not have a DVD or CD. Can I use a bootable USB thumb drive instead? If so, how can I do it? Love the show. Well, ISO files are disk images, and that's the, that's the standard for storing the disk image, and they're often used to distribute software. So in the past, you'd take the ISO image, you'd burn it to a CD or a DVD, and you'd use that you know, to boot up on, to install an operating system. And and so the, you know, they, they started out on CDs, then the ISOs got larger and larger and larger, then they started burning them to DVDs. And in either case, you would boot from this DVD or the CD. Now, actually, you can also put an ISO file onto a USB, and then you can, a USB thumb drive, and you can, and then you can boot off the USB thumb drive. So there are uh, a number of programs that will take an ISO file, and it's the name of the file, .iso. So you're going to have to get the ISO file that you want to put on the thumb drive. And, and one of the easiest ones is Rufus. Rufus. <laughs> Rufus, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it supports a variety of bootable ISO, 
ISO files, including Linux distributions and Windows installation files, as well as raw disk image files. So just search for Rufus, R-U-F-U-S, and you'll get it. I'll give a, I'll give a particular link to it. So it's a small executable. It's got minimal options for tinkering, and it's just fast. And so it will basically, you know, you can you can adjust the file system, the cluster size, the type of bootable beyond, and that's it. You just click go, and it will just make the uh, make your drive. And it's actually quite um, quite fast. Now, this, the the amount of time that it takes to write it depends on the speed of your hard drive and the speed of your flash drive. And which USB you're using, USB 2, USB 2, but USB 2 or USB 3. But it's actually quite fast. So I'd recommend getting Rufus to create an ISO file on a bootable, on, on a USB drive, and then set your computer so that it will boot off of the USB drive. We got an email from Carletta in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dear Tech Talk, I just got a new laptop and discovered. It does not have a DVD player. Yeah, right? I love to watch movies, I and I was watching DVD movies on my old laptop. I got many pictures stored on DVD. Uh, what are my options, Carletta and Pittsburgh? Well, Carletta, you can actually have an inexpensive USB portable DVD player writer. That's what I have. My laptop does not have a DVD player in it or writer. It doesn't have that because it's just heavy. I hold my laptop all over the place, and I don't particularly want to carry that all around. Was so that's something that you looked for in a new laptop was something that did not have a DVD player. I wanted. I was looking for something that was light. How much? How much thin. weight does it save? I I don't know, but it, it saves in thickness. Oh right, okay. It saves right. in thickness. I mean, it, it. I mean, it probably saves you know five ounces. I mean, they're they're not so really. It's they're, not something that's noticeable. Yeah, but every ounce counts when you're hauling when you're <laughs> yes, hauling the laptop true. around. And yeah. it turns so I'm looking for the ultra light laptop because I like to travel with it. And the ultra light laptops they've just they've just dumped they've just dumped the DVD. I mean, and and I, and over time I think there will have less and less uses for DVDs or CDs. But so but then what you can do you can get a but I bought a portable. Uh, DVD player writer. Not not the one I got. I like is a Samsung USB 2.0 ultra portable DVD writer. I mean, it's available now on Amazon for forty nine dollars. So you know, it's powered right off the USB. So if I want to you, you know use a DVD or a CD, I just plug that in one of my USB ports, and boom, I can read it. So I've used that, and so if I ever have to install anything onto my laptop at home, or I want to watch a movie, I'll. Uh, not that I, I don't really watch any movies, but if I ever wanted to watch a movie on my laptop, I, I would be available. So that has served all of my purposes quite nicely, and um, I think that's all you need to do. We got an email from Valerie in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning a trip with a long, with some long rides on airplanes. Now the entertainment, and you know, I'm going with some budget budget carriers and the entertainment options on these budget carriers are a little sketchy. Now I watch both Netflix and Amazon prime movies at home. I'd like to take some of those movies with me. Is there, is there a way that I can watch some of my Netflix and Amazon while I'm on the airplane and not have to use the entertainment systems there because I don't know what I'm going to get. Love the show, Valerie. Well, Valerie taking your entertainment is becoming a must as many carriers scale back their offerings. 
The beauty of this is that Netflix and Amazon have made it possible for you to watch all your TV shows or movies offline. But, and also, HBO and Showtime permit downloads. So you can download movies from Netflix, Amazon, HBO, or Showtime. Now, the size of the movie depends uh, on how, how it's compressed. It also depends on, you know, what resolution of movie. For instance, a 90-minute movie is about 1 to 1.5 gigabytes for SD, 3 to 4 gigabytes for 720p HD, and then if you want 1080p HD, it's a little bit more. So, um, so, you, you know, so you can plan, you know, a few gigabytes for each movie. So you got to have to have enough memory. Now, Netflix made it possible to download content offline on in November of 2016. Now, not all the movies are available. So you can actually go to Netflix and you can click on show me the download movies and only the movies that are downloadable will show. Or you can scan all the movies you want. And if it's downloadable, you'll see a little download symbol. Uh, you can download to either Apple devices or Android devices running the latest operating systems. Netflix uh, at Amazon Prime also has off offline viewing. They've offered it since 2015. So Amazon actually offered it uh, before Netflix did. And so you just you just go to the movie that you want. You'll see a download icon, and then you'll just you download the movie. And so now it's uh, uh, there's there's a maximum number of, of downloads that you can that you can download on Amazon Prime. I, they don't say what it is. It might be about five. So after you've watched the movie, just you know delete it. Now I su I suspect there's a maximum number of movies you can download on Netflix, but I didn't see that information. But that's a very good option, and just you just get an iPad, make certain you got a charger there, and you can watch your own entertainment while you're flying the airplane. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Christopher Lantham Scholes. Christopher Lantham Scholes is best known as father of the typewriter and inventor of the QWERTY keyboard. Q-W-E-R-T-Y keyboard. That's the those are the letters on the top on the left side of the top row of letters on that particular keyboard layout. Christopher Scholes was born February 14th, 1819, in wow. Mooresburg, Pennsylvania. Now Scholes moved to nearby Danville, Pennsylvania, worked as an apprentice to a printer. Now, after completing his apprenticeship, Scholes moved to Milwaukee in 1837, and he, he went there to Published a local newspaper called the Kenosha Telegraph. Now he served also in the Wisconsin State Senate from 1848 to 1857. Now this guy moved around from parties quite a bit. At first he was a Democrat, then he was a Free Soiler, <laughs> and then he was a Republican. Let's look up the Free Soilers, shall we? I I have no idea what the what you see. This is this was the time of a. It was tumultuous time in the U.S. because 1857, this was about the time of the Civil War, which was around 1860. So this just, he was in this, he was in the Wisconsin Senate just up to the beginning of the Civil War. So I would say Free Soiler had something to do with, uh, with you know, the the Civil War and their and the state position on slavery. It was. It was it, they were opposed to the extension of slavery into the Western territories. Yep, that's that's what I thought it would be. Now, following a strike by compositors at his printing press, they, they used to have these guys, they, they would hand lay out, they, they would they would put in the, uh, the you know, the, the type, the printing press by hand. And yep, there was the a letters strike. individually. Yeah, individually. Mm-hmm. He decided to build a machine for typesetting. He said, I'm, ju- I'm just going to take care of it. These guys are mistake. I'm going to build a machine for typesetting. Now, he worked on that for a while, but he failed, and he quickly abandoned the idea. But he arrived at the idea of a typewriter through a different route. His initial goal was to create a machine that would number pages of a book or number tickets. And so we began working with fellow printer Samuel Sowell, and they created this numbering machine. I guess it was too complicated to letter. So they just go one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So they, they patented the number numbering machine in 1866. In 1867, Scholes came across a short note in, the, in Scientific American describing a prototype typewriter called the Terotype. It was invented by John Pratt. Now, Scholes decided that actually John Pratt's design was way too complicated, so he set out to make his own machine. He called it a typewriting machine or typewriter, a name inspired by the article. Um, Sowell enlisted Carlos Glidden as a third partner to provide the funds for this development. So you see we had... Uh, we had uh, Scholes, and then we had his his friend Sowell, and then then they had Carlos Glidden as the third partner in order to develop the typewriter. Now, the first model that the trio built had a keyboard that actually looked like a piano. the 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 bottom keys were well. 
It, it had black keys and white keys laid out in two rows. When you think about it, I mean, that was probably the only keyboard of its kind at that point. So that would That's be what right. you would work off of, right? That's right. So they, they, so they laid it out like a piano. And, and, and I looked at the original layout. So there were, there were two rows. They had bl- black keys and white keys. And, uh, and, and for the first time, they, they, they actually had an inked ribbon that would transfer the image to paper. Wow. This, this was a big, I mean, that was a big invention. Now, it turned out that they didn't, they didn't, want, they didn't want to waste, you know, extra keys. So, the letter sent, so it turns out that zero, they didn't have a zero or a one on it because they felt that the letter O was the same as a zero and the letter I was the same as a one. So, so that it, this particular uh, you know keyboard just didn't have a zero or a one, and you had to use uh, and you had to use uh, O and I if you wanted to type those numbers. Now they patented this thing in 1868. Now I looked at this layout; it's a it's a terrible keyboard layout, but but it, but the, you could see where they were they were sort of moving from the idea of a piano, which you know you had keys which would which would play music. This would be keys that where you could where you could play the type. Now. They showed it to a friend, James Dens- Densmore, and Densmore, he thought, you know, the typewriter could be a big deal, and he thought it could be highly profitable. So Densmore bought a fourth interest in the typewriter deal, and in return for that fourth interest, he paid all the expenses uh, for, the, uh, for the development of the typewriter, the piano version typewriter up to that point, and he had one fourth share. Now, then Densmore, Densmore bought that machine without even testing it. He just thought it was such a good idea. He just they heard about it and he bought a quarter interest. Then he saw the machine, and he thought this machine it just wouldn't function. He declared it's good for nothing, and he immediately urged them improvement. I mean, he just he just really dumped on this machine. So Soul and Glidden, they left the project in frustration. They were just fed up with it working this thing they'd been working on for so long. And um, and and that left just two guys, Scholes, the original guy, and then Densmore were the only two people with the typewriter invention. So they decided the way to test this. Glidden Densmore said, look, you've got to test this thing with people that are really going to run it through with paces. And they said, We let's get a stenographer. These are people that, you know, that type that type the the dialogue that goes on in courtrooms, and they have to type very quickly. So they found this stenographer, James Clefane, and this guy tested the machine mercilessly. He just ran it through everything. He actually broke 250 machines. <laughs> and then they would go back and they say, okay, why did it break? What was going on? And they finally, after after many, many trials, they finally ended up with an improved machine that actually worked pretty well. And so this testing by, by Clefane, the stenographer, really made a big difference. And they finally ended up, uh, by the time they got the final design, they'd manufactured around 50 machines with an average cost of $250 each. In 1873, they approached Remington and Sons. Okay, you remember the first typewriter was Remington. So they mm-hmm. approached them, and Remington offered to buy the patents. <clears throat> now, Scholes... He, he was not so optimistic that this would make money, so he just he just took cash for the patent. So he sold out for $12,000. Now, Densmore, was the businessman, he says, no, I'm not going to sell out. I insist on a royalty. And ultimately, Densmore, who was the final investor in this deal, made $1.5 million. 
this is back in 1850. That, that he, he, made a, he made a good good killing on that thing. Now, Scholes continued to work on new improvements for the typewriter in the 1870s. Now, one of the problems was is that the, t the typewriter would always uh, jam because you'd, you'd have two letters that were very, like TH, or there would be letters that were always, or Q and U, letters that were always together, and the typist would actually type those very quickly together, and and the and the the keyboard the the typewriter would jam because the keys couldn't return quickly enough. So he got the idea to make the keyboard extremely inconvenient. So let's move the T and the H far away from each other. Let's move the Q and the U far away. From, so any normal combinations that you would get in writing, spread those keys as far apart as you can get to make it ergonomically uncomfortable <laughs> and unfit. And that will slow the typists down so they won't jam the keyboard. So the QWERTY keyboard was designed to be inefficient. Interesting. And so he came up with the QWERTY keyboard, and actually the typewriter did work much better with that. He, he patented that in 1873. Now, Scholz died February 17, 1890. So he had done the QWERTY keyboard. He, he was basically the, the father of the typewriter, and he only made $12,000 out of the deal. Now, the shame of it is... Even after all of these years, and we got computers, and we got we don't really have typewriters anymore. We're still using that same inefficient QWERTY keyboard. Well, but you you know I think you can get a keyboard that, and you could. You, there's a setting I believe on, on your device that will allow you to go back to you know a regular ABCD. But how would your brain function with that? It would be tough. It would be it would it would, you would really have problems, so, wouldn't you? Well, so the problem is. You go back to high school. I mean, I learned to type in high school. Yeah. On a typewriter with, right. a, with a QWERTY keyboard. Yes. Once you've learned to type, you're stuck. Yep. You don't, you don't shift. Yep. So there are ergonomically optimized keyboards that nobody uses. Because you would, you, you'd be totally frustrated. That's right. Yep. So there you go. Everything you'd ever want to know about typewriters. And QWERTY keyboards. Hope you're paying attention because you can type your own ticket to free lunch if you uh, answer our question coming up in the pop quiz. It's Saturday morning and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2 and 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most 
on after fields. With accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Please sit down, sit down. Sit, you know, we don't want... Don't throw any more popcorn, please, please. <laughs> they, they quieted down That's right. really quickly for you there. That's right. Now, as you know, this is, in addition to being a radio show, is a classroom of the airways, and we test whether the class has been listening with using a pop quiz. And if you get the correct answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms, and you'll also get an A-plus for this session. By the way, we're trying to figure out how to get the fine dining information to our winners. There was something wrong with the webpage, and I'm working on that. And this As is a show about speak. technology, right? I know. Okay. I know. So earlier in the show, I was talking about Christopher Lantham Scholes. He, of course, is of course is father of the typewriter, an inventor of that QWERTY keyboard that we're all stuck with even to today. Now... When he was developing the first typewriter, he laid out the keyboard in a certain way. The original layout of the keyboard was patterned after what? All right. If you know the answer to the question, now is the time to pick up the phone. The quick red fox jumped over the lazy dog. Oh, hi. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia... The number is 877-936-9333. If you're tickling the ivories in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And as always, the international line is 877-9-3639-333. And of course, if you're calling us from Iraqi Kurdistan, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1. And the call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Now, hackers are targeting iPhones with malware. Now, there's a sophisticated mobile malware campaign that's gaining access to iPhone users by tricking users to download an open-source mobile device management piece of software, an MDM. 13 users in India have been compromised in the attacks, which have been detailed by Cisco Talos. The infected iPhone models are, you know, they range from 10.2 iOS version to 11.2. The campaign started actually back in August of 2015. Attackers take control by using the MDM package, 
which can give attackers complete control of the device and the ability to install fake versions of real apps. And uh, what they do with the fake versions of real apps, they've got two examples. They've got Telegram and WhatsApp. They push these compromised versions onto the phones using fake updates. And that allows them to get access to all the messages, photos, and contacts that the user has, and it's sent to some central location. The analysis of the campaign suggests the attackers are in India because there was a, they found an Indian email address. They actually had done some false flagging in this thing. They put in some Russian email address, make it look like Russian hackers, but they felt it was a false flag. All right, we don't have a winner yet. Uh, ask the question once again, if you would, please. Okay. We uh, Earlier in the show, we talked about the man who was father of the typewriter and inventor of the QWERTY keyboard, Christopher Lantham Scholes. And on his first version of the typewriter, he didn't have the QWERTY keyboard. It was laid out in a different way. What was that particular keyboard layout patterned after? All right. The number is 877-936-9333. Continue on, sir. Now, how can you make your iPhone's fingerprint reader more accurate? See, I, I've got a I've got a fingerprint reader on my on my iPhone. I use it all the time, and there are a number of ways to make it more accurate. Now, one thing that I do is that you can actually scan the same figure more than once. Really? Yeah. So what I so I tested this thing. So like I, I like to use my right thumb. It turns out I use my right thumb to open up more of. Actually, what I do, I, 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 I actually recorded four fingers. I do right thumb, left thumb, my index finger, left index finger, right. And then I recorded my right thumb twice. And then I started checking it, and, um, and then I noticed that sometimes one of the right thumb uh, imprints would take hold, and, and one time another one would. And so I, you just get more accuracy mm -hmm. if, if you record uh, the same finger more than once. Interesting. Now, there's also another problem with that, that you can do. Have you ever noticed that the fingerprint uh, system doesn't work when your hands are wet? I, yeah. Uh, okay, yes, 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 so yes. So what you do is... You you make your hands wet and record the uh, and record the fingerprint with a wet hand. Uh, okay. Will it ever work that way? Well, I mean, well, well, you do the dry hand, so that always is there, and then you do. Then, then oh, you, I see what you mean. So you, it will then, work when you have a wet hand. And then and then you make your hand wet, and then you and then you record the finger with, with the wet hand. I got you. Now it's also useful, by the way, when you when you make all these extra. Fingerprints is to name them so you can keep track of what you're going on. Uh -huh. Now the iPhone will let you do five. Uh, I mean, you could you could even do a toe print. <laughs> I mean, now I I, I really you um, are I, opening up a world of possibilities I, here. I, I really don't know when 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 that when that would be there. Well, but, there are people that have had toes grafted onto their hand. Yeah, so when yeah, so it's pot. So know. these are all tricks that you can do to, to to make your fingerprint reader more accurate on your iPhone. All right, okay, we've got somebody who would like to play our little game okay. here. Let's uh, do this. Let's go to line. Why line one? It's Lewis calling us from Rockville. Lewis, good morning. How are you, sir? How are you? I'm doing well. Good Dr. Shirts, ask yes. the question, please. All right. Earlier in the show, Lewis, I was talking about Christopher Scholes, the man who was father of the typewriter, inventor of the QWERTY keyboard. What was the first typewriter keyboard patterned after? 
Like a piano. That oh, correct. Is the correct Woo! answer. All right, uh, Lewis, nice to hear from you. Hang on a second. We're going to send you back to Andrew, and he will take your information and send the prize out to you. It is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio. We're heard on 1500 AM, 820 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. You can find us on the web by going to stratford.edu. You can also uh, go to Tech Talk, uh, rather to uh, federalnewsradio.com to learn more about us. And, of course, download the Periscope app to your device. Watch us do the program by following us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu 2018. That's stratford.edu 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. The latest threat is SIM hijacking. Now, you know, the SIM, if you've got a GSM uh, mobile phone, you put in a SIM card that's got the phone number on it and everything. And what criminals are doing, they're utilizing a technique called the port-out scam to target and steal people's phone numbers. Now, the the scam is also known as SIM swapping or SIM hijacking, and it's really simple. First, the criminals call the cell phone carrier's tech support number, pretending to be the target, the target who's going to get their their number stolen, and they explain to the company's employee that they lost their SIM card and they're requesting that their phone number be transferred or ported to a new SIM card that the hackers themselves already own. Now, it takes a little bit of social engineering, like they have to maybe provide the victim's social security number or home address. Many of these things are available online because people don't protect their personal information that well. And and once they convince the carrier that they are the user, they can get the phone number switched to the new SIM card. At that point, all the phone calls go to the new SIM card. And so if anybody has, say, say uh, two-factor authentication on their accounts, the code goes to this other phone, and people can then break into all of their banking and everything else where, where they have two-factor authentication up. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. 
Just another thing to worry yeah, of about. Of course, right. Sim hijacking. Hey, you know, we didn't talk about this. I didn't see on the outline, not to divert, but you had a, an iPhone issue. We're going to talk about that this oh, week. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I did. I Yeah. So I was uh, I was down at the uh, Northern Neck last week, and I had this catastrophe with my... <laughs> <laughs> with my, with my, oh, on Friday the 13th, this catastrophe with my, um, you know, jet ski lift. And I fell in the water uh, with my phone and I ruined it. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to get this replaced. And, and I've got Apple Care. And so I, so I decided I'll, I'll take it back down to the, uh, to the Apple store. And so I went back and I've had my phone two years and two months. Um, so it's paid for. It's paid for, yeah. And so I went in there and I said, well, you know, I've got Apple Care, so, you know, I can get the phone replaced for like for $100 or something. And they said, well, uh, we hate to tell you this, but your Apple Care expired two months ago. Oh, Apple great. Care is only good for two years. I didn't realize it. You buy Apple Care at the time you buy the phone from the Apple Store, and it's a two year deal and it's not renewable. Well, that's an important lesson. Yeah. But the good news was, so they said, well, we can give you a new, uh, you can get a new phone, like you can upgrade. I didn't want to get an expensive new phone. So, But they said you could replace your iPhone 6. Normally, the iPhone 6, this is 128 gigs of memory, would be like $550. But they said because it's a replacement, we'll sell it to you for $299. So I got the iPhone 6S with 128 gigs for $299. Now... But then I've got this battery pack on the back, and it was also ruined. I was going to say that looks like a new battery pack. Yeah. So then, so then, so then the battery pack was, you know, seventy nine dollars as a replacement. So I ended up spending three seventy nine. Then, the, then they said, uh, you know, you got to wait in line to get all this on on Saturday. You know, you you got to get an appointment. So you went like right after you I went, did the show. I went right after the show. Right after I had been up, I'd been up all night with this, you know, the you know, crying, sitting shiva for your that, phone. That's right. So I and then they said, now you're going to have to also because your your SIM card got wet. They said you really have to replace that. So then I went to the oh, Verizon no. store, and then I waited in line there and replaced my SIM card. So now, but the thing is, everything was backed up. So as soon as I put in all my, all my you know iCloud passwords and all. Within, uh, I'd say, an hour and a half, my Everything phone was, was totally restored. Uh, so that's an interesting question. Did, did, did the water destroy the SIM card as well? Uh, they said it, it, it ultimately will. I, I didn't really test it, but they said once you get salt on it, it'll just uh, okay. corrode. And I didn't want to be overseas where I have to have the SIM card and then and it fails. The, oh, yeah. So the Verizon guys, they said, well, once you get water on your SIM card, salt water on your SIM card, they, re they recommend. And so Verizon replaced the SIM card free. Nice. So I didn't have to. I just had to wait in line. So that was uh, that was my yeah. I forgot about that little story. So the Apple Care would have worked perfectly had you've been within two years. Yeah. Now I could have gone because I have I actually have phone loss insurance at Verizon. Mm -hmm. So I could have gone to Verizon and uh, like pretend that I lost my phone and gotten a, a gotten a refurbished phone for a hundred dollars. But I every time I get a refurbished phone on that plan I, it just doesn't seem quite right so I wanted to get a new phone for 299 so I find this interesting you you have stopped at the iPhone 6 you haven't gone any beyond that that level no not why? yet not, well here's why the, not okay here's the reason uh, Apple's trying to figure out what their next phone is you uh, know you know okay. they're, you know they're discontinuing the 10 really was the, they're, they're considering that a flop? Yeah, I mean, it was too expensive. And the reason it was too expensive is the organic LED screens they got from Samsung. Samsung would just charge them an arm and a leg for those, and that just pushed the price way up. So now they're trying to get a second vendor for organic LED screens. 
and they're and they're coming out with some versions uh, that are actually cheaper. And so so we went from the eight. So it turns out the seven is actually not is actually a, a significant upgrade from the six. Okay. The is eight, it the same size? Yeah, yeah, same size. And then the eight is almost the same as the seven, uh-huh. except that it, except it has face recognition. And then the ten is just super expensive. Right. So now they're thinking they're going to come out with the nine, because they skipped the <laughs> nine, you see, or the eleven. And I think the next version of the iPhone will probably be the one I get. Because the only reason that I would upgrade would be to get a better camera. Mm-hmm. It turns out this is the camera is what I use on it. So it's not, I don't use my phone much for a phone anymore. No. Because I'll, I do text messaging, I, I surf the web, and I use it for a camera. The only time you use it for a phone is when you use your wife's phone when you drop your phone in the water. That is the only, <laughs> that is the only time. So, so I... Uh, I could have gotten a seven, but I think they're just about ready to come out with with the next latest and greatest. Interesting. Oh, the other thing I discovered was at Verizon, you know, they when you buy a phone, they bake it into the bake it into your plan. You right. know, like you buy it two years, they might increase your rate like twenty nine dollars a a month or something. And it used to be that that baked in price just continued on indefinitely. Now Verizon. After the two-year period, they get rid of it, and really? they just drop down to the to the base price, and then you're not on contract. I mean, that is actually a pretty good feature. That's a pretty good feature. That's really a good. So I went in there and I said, "Well, I, I'm not going to get a phone. I just want to get off contract." They, they're already off contract. They just automatically went off contract. You hadn't noticed that your bill went down. I I didn't hadn't paid attention. I, I should have noticed. Had paid it. the bill. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the one paying the bill. Actually, that is that is correct. I paid the bill, but I, somebody else I didn't, did. I didn't pay your, the bill. Your uh, your handler. Yeah, did we, it. Your handler. we we yeah the handlers paid the bill. So it's like so the plan we've got is like sixty dollars for the base plan. And then twenty dollars a line, uh-huh. and then that that includes ten, 10 gigs of data or something. So so I, I didn't have to change my plan. Good. Hang so, on. Let's let's take a break. Okay. All right. That was so much okay. to <laughs> so much to digest. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, one hundred three nine FM HD two. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, WPA3 has finally been released by the Wi-Fi Alliance. That's a group of vendors that get together and create standards. Now, the WPA3 will be a more secure Wi-Fi protocol that replaced the 14-year-old WPA2. Now, the new protocol adds features that simplify Wi-Fi security. It, it allows easier authentication. It delivers better cryptographic strength. It comes in two versions. It comes the enterprise version, which, is, which meets government standards for Wi-Fi. It's got a you know 192-bit encryption. It's very very robust. And then you've got the the home version of WPA3. Now one thing it does is it um, it uh, the reason that this change now is so important is that they found a a flaw in WPA2 that was recent that was revealed last year. There's a in the when you set up a connection with the in a, in a WPA2 protocol, there's a four-way handshake that goes back and forth, and you can trick the victim's device into reusing an already used key, and that trick allows you to, you know, to, to, to crack the key much more easily. And so WPA became very, very vulnerable, so it's about time for WPA3 to come out. So now here is the thing. Um, uh, most of the uh, it's going to require a firmware upgrade. Most of the most of the routers that have been out for a few years maybe not have the capacity to do the, the upgrade to WPA3. So I would think this is the thing. If you're buying a router, make certain that it will support a firmware upgrade to be WPA3 compatible. If you've just got an old router. Uh, chance, and, and unless you're really in the super secure mode, you probably could just live with the WPA2 for a while until you upgrade your router. But people right now, until this, because it's all going to be coming, it'll all be, re everything will be out in the next couple of months. Make certain that your router is upgradable to WPA3. That's probably the lesson to be learned right now. The Girl Scouts have unveiled 30 new STEM-related badges. This is science, technology, and, and, uh, engineering, will this mathematics. Will this affect the quality of the cookies? Uh, I don't think it has anything to do good. with the cookies. <laughs> They're trying to actually change the the tenor of the uh, of the Girl Scouts. You see, remember, remember, Boy Scouts started accepting girls. Remember mm -hmm. this last right. year. So now all of a sudden, the Girl Scouts are worried that the girls are going to switch over to the Boy Scouts because the Boy Scouts have more STEM stuff. We, and the girls had more, you know, more girl-related stuff. So now the girls are trying to make uh, make um, programs within their ranks that, that, will, that will be appealing to girls. We live in troubled times. I know, we do. It's troubled, <laughs> troubled times. And so now the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts are competing with each other in the area of STEM. I think this is very good because... Because we want more girls in our STEM. We got more girls in technology. I think that's a great, great item. Now, you know, everybody in technology, you know, they always drink a lot of coffee when they're coding. And, you know, I mean, it just, it just is like, it's like the drink of, of it's either. It's the drink e of champions. Yeah, it's either Gatorade or, or coffee. Ugh. But, you know, coffee is like the big. And so 
So the, the Stevens Institute of Technology, they, they, they study the impact of coffee has on your ability to perform analytical tasks. The Stevens Institute of Technology, otherwise known as SIT. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. And, you know, they, they had to be very careful, be very very careful, careful with, with their that. name. Yes, they so did. They, so they, they analyzed people doing the analytic portions of the Graduate Management <laughs> Aptitude Test, GMAT. And what they discovered was that you got enhanced performance when you were uh, drinking coffee, which we sort of already suspected that that was a known, but they tested that and it did, in fact, work. Then they did something else. They allowed people just to smell coffee. So they had a coffee scent huh. and it had the same effect. What? And there was no caffeine in it. So just smelling coffee. Wow. Improved your cognitive but you ability. Know what? I don't drink coffee, but I love the smell of it. Yeah, it just it puts you in a happy place. There you go. You see there, right? And so and so you don't have to drink the coffee to get the benefits of the coffee. <laughs> I just thought that was an That's interesting really test. Cool. They also had a placebo. They also ran. You know, they were in two groups with the placebo effect and everything. It was, it was actually a pretty good study, and. Uh, and so they, they found the group in the coffee smelling room scored significantly coffee higher. The coffee smelling room. <laughs> so even if you don't drink coffee, if you're if you're if you're uh, if your office mate drinks coffee, you get the advantage of it. How about that? Isn't that that's something? great? So that's just like kind of an interesting. I don't know. It's not that technical. It's just an interesting fact. It, it but uh, think of the rollover effect. I mean, it, it is technical. Yes. Think of all the things that may not have been developed had it not been for coffee. I know. Now Google Loon is coming to Kenya. Now Google Google Loon. That is a project that Google has. These are giant balloons that actually have Wi-Fi connections on them. They actually they actually have. Uh, have cell phone connections and uh, and uh, and data on them, and they, they basically are like um, cell phone towers on a balloon. Mm -hmm. Now the uh, it was developed uh, Google, the project Loon was developed under the parent company Alphabet, and then it was recently transitioned to a full fledged company. They call it graduated. It graduated mm -hmm. to a full fledged company, which means it has to make money now. Now, the Loon's balloons fly in the stratosphere around 20 kilometers up, uh, 20 kilometers above sea level. That's outer range of air traffic or storms or wildlife. The balloons are the size of a tennis court, and they're made of polyethylene, and they're filled with helium, and they're powered by solar power. Now, they studied these balloons, and they figured out how to put up balloons and get rid of all the little pinhole leaks and these balloons stay up for months, mm -hmm. months. And what they do is they discovered, because if you look at air currents at that altitude, you've got layers of air blowing in different directions. So they found out that they could, through computer control and simply changing the height of the balloon, they could maintain the balloon wherever they would want to be. They could guide it and, and position it at a roughly constant position by constantly working working at different uh, different layers. And so they really worked in it. So now what they're doing, they're, they're going to put uh, balloons, a, a, you know, a, a platoon of balloons over Kenya to provide Internet access in Kenya. And this is actually a big deal because, it's, because they've tried to install Internet access in Kenya 
but it's the, the but the putting in a physical infrastructure has got all they got vast problems laying fiber in Kenya. You know they got all kinds of issues. They just never really got it done. So now by having balloons, they can actually provide internet access to the remote areas of Kenya, and that and that will give internet access to Kenya's 49 million people. So. So what they've done is they've signed a contract with a, a local mobile company, and so that what it is, the signals are picked up by the balloons, and then they are relayed to the a tower of the local mobile company, and then they people can make mobile phone calls, and it's just like they're on the, uh, you know, on you know, it's just like they've got regular mobile access. How, how long did you say these can stay up for? Months at a time. Months at a time. Do you, any idea how much they cost? Uh, no, I don't know. That's I don't that's an, but yeah. but they will have to be. You do have to replace them and rotate them yeah because because there are small leaks Mm -hmm. and so and so they but they managed to have a big breakthrough on getting rid of the leaks it started out they only stood up for maybe five days and then Mm. they figured out the leakage problem in the in the polystyrene and then they and they and they were able to, to to produce this without any small holes and they got up to months they've actually had some balloons that have stayed up for years now if they just got those mylar balloons from the grocery store they'd be up there forever oh yeah forever (laughs) maybe one afternoon one afternoon (laughs) now let's have you ever you know let's let's talk about gigabytes terabytes and petabytes okay you know it's you know you always hear people talk about it all the time i prefer Pizza flavored gigabytes. You've like you yes. pizza flavor. Well, how about a a brontabyte or 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 a or a zettabyte? I mean, these are all options. So these are basically sizes. A kilobyte is ten twenty four bytes of data. It's a it's a thousand twenty four bytes of data. Now, by the I mean, where does a thousand twenty four come? It's basically two to the tenth power. Okay. Because everything in computers is you know is 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 a factor of two because mm-hmm. each bit is either zero or one. Right. So that's two options. So two to the tenth power is ten twenty four, ten twenty four. So one kilobit is ten twenty four bytes of data. Now a megabyte is ten twenty four kilobytes. Now let's see how much would be one megabyte. A one four hundred page book is a megabyte. Uh, five megabytes would be the average four-minute MP3 song. 650 megabytes would be the uh, a 70-minute audio on a CD-ROM. Now, a gigabyte is 1024 megabytes. So one gigabyte would be around 10 yards of books on a shelf. Mm. It would be 4.7 gigabytes would be the capacity of a DVD. Seven gigabytes would be how much data per hour you would stream when you're watching a Netflix ultra-high HD video. A terabyte is 1024 gigabytes. So one terabyte would be 200,000 five-minute songs. A 10 terabytes would be the amount of data produced by Hubble per year. And 24 terabytes would be the amount of video data uploaded to YouTube per day in a year. And then you got petabytes and then exabytes, and they keep going on and on. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we'd also like you to check out our programs at the Stratford University website. Go to stratford.edu, check out the programs, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.